May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning and welcome to Parkway Fellowship. So glad you're here today. I also want to welcome our North Campus joining us by video feed. Glad you guys are with us as well. Um, now, I, I, I don't know what grade in elementary school I was in when I told this to my dad, but I remember it vividly. I remember going to my dad and I said, uh, you know, dad, I've been thinking. You know, we eat a lot of food and I can't figure out where all this food actually goes. So, I've been thinking. I can't believe I'm about to share this with y'all, but here's the deal. I said, I've been thinking. Dad, I think that inside of each one of us is a hydraulic hammer that pounds the food down, and it does such a good job that it takes an entire lifetime for our stomach to actually fill up all the way. And I'm sure my dad was like, where does he get this stuff? So anyway, so then my dad, my dad responds back. He says, um, okay. He said, well, do you think that it's possible that our stomach could process food in such a way that that food becomes energy and our body uses that energy to you know, run and jump and play? And so I thought about it and I was like, no, I think it's hydraulics. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Like, my dad didn't correct that. Like, he just let me think that. And so then, when I got to seventh grade biology, and they started talking about how the digestive system really works, in my mind, I'm thinking, what? Now, I didn't share with my little theory about hydraulics with anyone, because, you know, obvious reasons. But where did I get that dumb idea about a hydraulic hammer? I mean, where did that come from? I have no idea. I have no idea why I thought that. But here's the thing. Um, it made perfect sense to me at the time. I mean, it was so believable until I learned the truth. And then when I learned the truth, that lie that had been so believable now just seemed completely ridiculous and absolutely silly. And there's been lots of these sorts of lies that have you know, like swept through our society, you know, um, and that people have bought into, you know, the acai berry prevents cancer. Or, you know, if you wear a, a power band, like it'll, it'll increase your balance. Or, you know, Donald Trump's hair is real, you know? <laughs> Things that people just believe, but the truth is they're, they're lies, they're believable lies. And when the truth comes to light, you know, we wonder why in the world did I ever believe that to begin with? And most of these types of things, you know, they don't really affect us either good or bad. But when it comes to believable lies about spiritual matters, especially God, now those are in a category all on their own because those lies can cause us to lose faith in God. They can cause us to lash out at God. They can cause us to hate God or walk away from God, or have a warped sense of thinking about who God really is. And some of those believable lies can affect us for years. So in this series, we're going to look at four believable lies about God, which brings us to the first believable lie. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already, and I've actually already printed it there for you. The first believable lie is this, God only loves me when I'm good. God only loves me when I'm good. And this lie is believable 
believable because it sounds like it could be true. And many of us have had this sort of lie reinforced to us over and over in life. You know, some of us as children, our parents never told us they loved us unless we were doing something good. And some children just just have such a natural desire to please their parents and not disappoint their mom and dad that eventually that line of thinking becomes my parents only love me when I'm good. You know, and there's some of us that grew up in an abusive household or where our parents abused alcohol or some other substance. And so there came with that immense pressure to be good. Otherwise, you know, we might set off a time bomb of abuse. And so we learned the lesson that we're only lovable when we're good. And some of us had this reinforced, you know, maybe by a coach that we admired or a teacher that we looked up to where um, we were only praised when we performed well. And some of us even had this lie reinforced to us in church growing up because someone somewhere along the way told us, God loves you when you're good, and he's disappointed in you when you're bad. And all of that feeds this lie of God only loves me when I'm good. And once that lie begins to take shape in our hearts and in our minds, I'm telling you, it can negatively affect our personal relationship with God because we eventually get to the place where we think, you know what, nothing I do ever pleases God. There's nothing that I can do that will be good enough for God. And that creates distance in a relationship with God. Or we just choose never to believe in God at all because that that kind of conditional love doesn't really feel like love. And here's the thing. Even if we don't struggle with this lie right now, If there comes a time when a whole series of bad things happens in your life and it feels like, you know, God has turned his back on you, that's when we need to know what the truth is so that we can dispel that lie. Or think about our kids or our grandkids. There's probably going to come a day in their lives when they are going to be tempted to believe this kind of a lie. Well, we need to be able to tell them what the truth is so that we can dispel that lie and be able to back it up right? So I want you to look at your sermon notes and let's ask this question. What does God say is the real truth behind this believable lie? Well, the real truth is this, and this is your fill-in. God loves me without conditions. The real truth is that God loves me without conditions. See, this lie of, you know, God only loves me when I'm good, this is not new. This has been a lie that has entangled people for centuries. And there was even a man in Jesus' day who believed this lie. Look what happens. It's in Mark chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 17. It says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I want you to circle the words, and loved him. Very important. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, it might seem that Jesus loves this man because, you know, he kept all of God's commandments since he was a boy. Which, by the way, would actually only perpetuate this lie that God loves you when you're good. But that's not what happened. And let me tell you why. Um, like the rest of the New Testament, the book of Mark was written in Greek. Now, the Greek language actually has three words for the English word love. And the word for love used here, the part that I had you circle, is the word Agape, which means love without condition. In fact, you want to write that somewhere in the margin. It means love without conditions, okay? So here's this poor guy. You know, he's trying to, he's trying to earn his way to heaven, and he tells Jesus that he's kept all of, the, all of God's commands since he was a boy, and the truth is, he probably had. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at him, and loved him without conditions. And I think that the reason the Bible uses the word agape here is to make a statement that Jesus, didn't, Jesus did not love this guy because of all the stuff that he had done. Jesus loved the guy because he could clearly see that this guy wanted eternal life, that this guy wanted to go to heaven when he died. This guy wanted to have a relationship with God. And somehow that this guy knew that despite all of his best efforts to be good, that he still did not have eternal life locked up. And so Jesus looks at him and he loves him without conditions. And by the way, if the Bible says that Jesus loves him, that also means that God loves him because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is the exact representation of God. And so, look, this guy didn't earn Jesus' love. This guy wasn't loved because of anything that he did. This guy wasn't loved because he was good. Jesus loved him without conditions, and the Bible goes out of the way to say so. So what about you? What about you in your life? Have, have you tried to be a good person so that God will love you? Now look, you might not have ever thought those exact words, but when something bad happens to you, do you think that it might be because God's mad at you? Do you try to do something good so that God owes you and that he'll do something good back for you? Do you try to be a good person to make up for some things that you've done in the past that were bad? Look, I'm telling you, this lie that God only loves me when I'm good, I'm telling you, it hides in different forms in our hearts. So here's the thing, how do I get it out of my heart? How do I get this out of my mind? Well, 
The solution is the very thing that this guy was unwilling to do. The solution is to make following Jesus the number one thing in your life. You see, although Jesus loved him, Jesus told him that if he wanted to have eternal life, they need to go and sell everything he had. Now, you might think that that means that in order to, you know, go to heaven when you die, in order to have eternal life, that you need to go give God a bunch of money, okay? That is not true. Jesus was just saying that in order to become a Christ follower and gain eternal life, you have, one of the things you have to do is you have to be willing to put Jesus number one. And now, this guy's number one thing just happened to be money. So Jesus tells him to, you know, go get rid of it all and follow him. See, here's the insight. Although you can't earn God's love, once you become a Christ follower, there is an expectation that you'll make God the number one priority in your life. So get this. Putting God number one doesn't give you eternal life. It shows that you're thankful to him that he has given you eternal life. So, see, that's why you do good deeds and obey God. It's out of a sense of gratitude. It's not to, you know, earn his love. You know, that's one reason why being a part of a small group is so beneficial, because when you're in a small group, you're around other people who are also um, trying to make Jesus and God the number one priority in their life. And so you get the chance to you know, mutually encourage one another. You also get the chance to study the Bible together so that you can dispel these sorts of lies. And that's another reason why you need to make sure that your kids and your teenagers are part of a small group as well so that they don't grow up thinking the wrong things about God and about Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. There's actually two other forms of this same believable lie that we, want, we need to cover. Now, it's the same lie. It just comes in different forms, okay? So the second form is this, okay? God could never love me because of what I've done. That's the second form of this lie, that God could never love me because of what I've done. Now, at the root, this is just the same lie of God only loves me when I'm good. But there are so many people that feel like God could never love them or that God loves them less because of what they've done in their past. Look, and here's the thing, if that's you, you're not the first person to feel that way. There was a whole segment of people in the church in Rome that felt that way, and, and the truth is, we don't know why they felt that way. You know, Rome was an especially decadent city, and so there's a really good chance that there was a, a significant number of people inside the church in Rome that before they became Christ followers had done some things in their past that they were really, really ashamed of. And so perhaps they were carrying a lot of that around. And so Paul writes to help dispel this lie. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. He says this, he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will a person die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. And then I want you to underline all of verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you ever struggle with guilt over your past? I mean, I know I have. You ever struggle with shame over something you've done? I have too. And so did many Christ followers in Rome. And so Paul reminds them, he, he says, hey, look, m- most people wouldn't even die for a good person. But God loves you so much that he sent his son, okay, his son to die for you while you were still a sinner, okay? He didn't send him to die for you, you know, after you cleaned up your act and promised to do better. He didn't, he didn't die for you, after, you know, after you said you were sorry and promised never to do it again. Do it again. No, no, no. Jesus died for you, and he died for me while we were still sinners, That's the key. My friends, if God is willing to send his one and only son to die for you on a cross to pay the price for your sinful past, I'm telling you, that is God showing you how much he loves you, okay? He's not just saying it, he's showing it. And so you can replace this lie with this key truth. God shows he loves me by what he's done. God shows he loves me by what he's done. And what has he done? He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you. And Jesus, look, Jesus will forgive you for your entire past, everything, if you ask. Now, there is the expectation that you would follow Jesus from that point on. But look, considering that he's willing to forgive you for everything you've ever done, the truth is, that's a pretty small thing to ask. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you for everything you've done, then I'm going to give you a chance to do that when we get to the end of the message today. And for those of you that have already become Christ followers, here's the thing. You don't have to torture yourself with guilt and shame. You're forgiven. God has already shown you how much he loves you by sending Christ to die for you. And to continue to hold on to that guilt and shame of things that you've done in your past, I'm telling you, that is essentially telling God that what you have done in your past is a bigger deal than God sending his son to die for you. By holding on to your guilt and shame, that's essentially what you're saying. So whatever's in your past, look, God already knows all about it. And he sent Jesus Christ to die so that your past could be forgiven. And he offers that forgiveness to you anyway, even knowing what you've done. Okay, let's look at the third version of this lie. The third version of this lie is this is that God loves good people more than me. The third version is that God loves good people more than me. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, the Bible says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, and I want you to circle, and he loved us so much, 
that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now hold on, I want you to underline something. I want you to underline with Christ and seated us with him. Underline with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Okay, now that part I had you circle, it says this, it says, and he loved us so much that he did what? That he sent Christ to die for our sins. But then God does something that no one would expect. It says that he seats us in the heavenly realms right beside Christ, right beside Jesus. I know that sounds a little strange because like you and I, we're not sitting in the heavenly realms, okay? We're sitting in church. So what does this mean? Well, this verse actually refers to how God views you once you become a Christ follower, once you become a Christian. The Bible says that God views you as someone who is seated in the heavenly realms right beside Jesus, okay? That means that once you become a Christ follower, God views you as seated right alongside Christ, okay? Now, look, that doesn't mean you're as good as Jesus, so don't get carried away. All right, that's not what it's saying. But what it's saying is, is that God views you as part of his family right alongside Christ. So here's the thing. How could this lie be true if you are a part of his family and he views you in such an elevated place that you're right beside Christ? Well, it can't be true, because this is a lie, a believable one, but a lie nonetheless. So here's the truth. The, the truth is, God loves me like family. God loves me like family. Look, here's the thing. I don't, I don't know your past. I, I don't know your story. I don't know the details of what you've been through in your life. And the truth is, I don't have to know. God does. He does know. And God is reaching out to you today, and he's telling you that he doesn't love you just when you're good. And there's nothing in your past that can't be forgiven. And now he waits for you to just put down all of that guilt and all of that shame and become a member of his family by becoming a Christ follower. Now look, if you've never become a Christ follower, or you you don't know if you've ever become a Christ follower, then I'm going to give you a chance in just a moment to choose to become one so that you can make sure. Now, there's a sample prayer for how to become a Christ follower. It's at the bottom of your message notes underneath those next steps. If you have never prayed that prayer before, I want you to pray it today. And if you pray it and mean it, not only will your sins be forgiven, but you'll go to heaven when you die. And you can have a relationship with God while you are here on this earth. And if you've already done that, you've already become a Christ follower, then there's some other next steps that you can take to dispel this believable lie. So everybody right now, I want you to find your connection card and let's all take some of these next steps together. Okay, find your connection card. Perhaps for you it's this first next step. 
I will believe the truth that God loves me without conditions. Maybe that's where you need to start. You need to say, I just need to choose to believe it. I don't even know if I feel like that yet, but it doesn't matter what your feelings are. It matters what is true. So would you choose to believe it? Next, I will put God as my number one priority, not to earn his love, but to show I'm thankful for his love. I'm telling you, that could be huge for you. Would you make that commitment? And then one of the key ways to make him the number one priority of your life is to choose this next one. Sign me up for a small group, and then you write the code of the small group that you're signing up for. Now, this is the last week that you'll be able to sign up for a small group in the worship service. So if you haven't signed up for a small group yet, please do so. Um, the, there's a catalog in your worship guide, and use the code beside the small group you're willing to uh, be a part of. And if you have questions or want to sign up like in person, there's a kiosk outside in the foyer. You could do that today. But then the next one, sign my child or teenager up for a small group. Because it's not just you that needs one, your kids and teenagers do too. So if you haven't signed them up, this is your chance to do that. Write their name, and then the code of their small group. And there's special small groups for kids and teenagers, and those are all in the um, catalog. Next, I will let go of my guilt and shame because I am forgiven in Christ. I'm telling you, for some of you, that would be revolutionary. That would be a real game changer for you to let go of all that stuff you've been hanging on to. You're already forgiven, so let it go. Next, I'll memorize Romans 5, 8, and this is a cornerstone verse for Christ followers. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you don't know that verse, I'm telling you, memorize it. It's incredible. Next, I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower for the first time in my life. If you have never prayed that prayer before, you're going to do it today. Check this box um, because I want, to, and I want to send you some stuff in the mail that will help you get started. And I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer in about 20 seconds. Look at the net last one. I will come back for the rest of the Believable Lies series. Look, next week we're going to talk about the lie of I can't hear God. The week after that, it's the lie of God owes me something. And then we're going to wrap it up with the lie of all, all, are all religions essentially the same? I mean, aren't they all essentially the same? All those are lies, but they're so believable. Would you come back for it? I'm going to give you a chance right now to pray and ask God to help you with the next steps that you've taken. If you've want to become a Christ follower, this is your chance to pray that prayer. So right now, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes. Let's take these next moments and pray silently to God. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for every single person that's here today, that's listening live or listening on the internet during the week, and I want to ask you, God, to help each one of us to embrace the truth that you don't just love us when we're good, you love us all the time, and your love is not conditional. It is without conditions, and I ask that you would help us to 
walk in that kind of freedom and put you as the number one priority in our life and that you would help us to dispel that lie in every part of our heart and mind and that you would bring us back next week so that we can hear more of your truth and ask you to do that in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.